which we live. All right, James chapter number 4 is where we will be. As we're looking at James on Wednesday evenings, and as we come back to it, just keep in mind that James is writing to Jewish believers who have been scattered abroad. And large have been scattered because of the persecution they're facing from the religious leaders and political leaders of, of the day. And it would seem that this persecution would have been one of the first, at least the first big wave of persecution to come across and come upon the first century church. So the audience to whom James is writing, uh, these individuals, these believers, Jewish believers, they're going through a lot. They're going through a lot of suffering, a lot of hurting. They're going through a lot of struggle. They're absolutely confused, and they really need a lot of help. And so James knows this, and so he sits down with pen in hand under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and encourages them and instructs them uh, through this terrible time of life. But as we come back to James chapter number, number 4, uh, we, as we came to this even last time, we took note that James is being quite blunt with these believers. He is really being brutally honest with them because of what they're doing. You see, at this moment in chapter 4, the context of it, overall context of it, is at this moment these believers were warring and fighting amongst, them, amongst themselves. There's a lot of strife going on in the midst of them. They were being combative one toward another. There was fighting going on in the church. And so James, he knew these things and knew about all of this. But he also knew that if the fighting continued, there would definitely be some grave consequences within the church body. And of course, he did not want this to happen. But as we understand of the fightings and warrings that were going on, we took note last time of really where they come from. You see, James makes it crystal clear that uh, uh, the real war that we have, the real enemy that we have, is not with flesh and blood, but rather it's with the devil himself. You see, it's Satan that's behind the warring. It's Satan that's behind the strife and, and the fighting. He's making it crystal clear that the enemy is not the person across the road from you. The real enemy is the devil himself. So keep that in mind, all right? Never forget that truth. It'll help you. It'll help me as well. But let's keep that in mind, all right? But as we move on down in chapter number 4, we'll take note of a few different, um, I don't know, consequences maybe, results or whatever you want to call it, of these wars and fightings that were taking place and going on uh, within the, uh, 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 with the believers at this moment. And uh, so we'll take note of some of those responses, but then we'll take note of some instruction that James gives uh, to those reactions, responses, consequences, whatever you want to call it, all right? Let's look at it, James chapter 4, and we'll start in verse number 8, and we'll go down through verse number 12. But the Bible says in verse number 8, James 4, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Our fathers, we look to your word this evening. I pray that you would help me. Our Lord, you would loose my tongue. Help me to speak clearly this evening. And I pray that you open our hearts to the word of God. And Lord, help us to uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ tonight. 
We need you because without you we can do nothing. Thank you, Lord, for helping us. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing I want to consider this evening as we look at this text and consider the overall context of the warring and fighting that's going on is this. Number one, take note of these believers here. Take note of their drifting, all right? Again, look at verse number eight. <clears throat> the Bible says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. All right? Now, as James encourages these believers here to draw nigh to God, uh, it would suggest, and it would seem that this phraseology here, that they are currently, these believers are currently not nigh to God. Uh, they are currently not close or near unto God. Now, again, I would say that because as you consider the context of the first seven verses of this chapter, we know that these individuals, these believers, they were fighting. They were at war. They were striving amongst themselves. And if this is your behavior and these are your current actions, then it would seem to indicate that you're not close to God, that you're not walking close and walking humbly with your God. Maybe not as close as you once were, at the very least. But it would seem that they were not close to God, and therefore, James says, draw nigh to God. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard the phrase, nearness is likeness? Anybody ever heard that? Nobody? One? Okay. Well, nearness is likeness. What does that mean? Or what, when someone says that, what are they suggesting? Well... They're saying this, the more you are close to someone, then the more you'll become like them. And of course, in the spiritual application of that phrase, it'd be the, the closer you are to the Lord, then the more you'll be like the Lord. The closer you are to Jesus, the more your life would imitate Him. Make sense? Now, therefore, nearness is likeness. But understand at this moment, these actions, the behavior of these believers, the strife, the fighting, and all that going on, that was not very Christ-like. Uh, that strife and these actions that's going on does not look like Jesus. And so it would seem these believers were not nigh unto God at this moment, and it would seem they were drifting away. Now, I read a story of a group of folks who were taking a routine trip from Maine to Florida on their big fancy yacht. Uh, but the story goes like this. It says there's a group of five friends that were going to sail from Maine to Florida. And before leaving Maine on that first morning, the weather reports indicated that their seas were safe for sailing. So they got in their yacht and sailed on. However, by the second night of the trip, there arose a terrible storm. And in just a few short moments, the waves were cresting between 34, or 35 and 45 feet, with the winds blowing between, 90, between 70 and 90 knots. And during this storm, two of the five friends named Brad and Deborah, they both attentively watched the storms while the others thought nothing of it. And those others began to drink heavily. For the next 11 hours, Brad and Deborah watched the destructive and turbulent conditions till finally the other three said they would keep watch so Brad and Deborah could get some sleep. Soon Brad and Deborah's rest ceased as they were awakened by the rising waters within the yacht. You see, the boat began to take on water after the other three had fallen asleep on duty, and the yacht began to drift into the stormy seas where eventually the yacht sunk. 
So for the next several days, the crew lived in an inflatable rescue boat, suffering through many different adverse conditions. And during those days, and in those conditions, they began to drift further and further and further away, just clinging to hope that someone would soon find them. And within just a few short days of that, the three that had gotten them into the situation, they all three died, leaving Brad and Deborah to continue to drift in the Atlantic Ocean by themselves. After four more miserable days on the rescue raft, Brad and Deborah were finally rescued by a Russian ship that took them to the U.S. Coast Guard. And Brad and Deborah, they lived to tell the dangers of drifting at sea. Now, I can't imagine what they, what they went through, the terror of drifting at sea and the danger in that vast open ocean. I can't imagine that, and I don't really want to either. But I'm here to tell you that there is a greater danger than that of drifting at sea. And it's when a believer would drift from the Lord. When a Christian begins to drift in their spiritual life, drifting away from Jesus. You see, if we allow ourselves to drift from the Lord, from, from the Bible, if we allow ourselves to drift from church, from the fellowship of believers, from the truth, if we allow ourselves to drift from God, then listen, it will not end well. Understand, I have seen individuals in my short years of ministry to drift. And this drifting happens. And it's very burdensome to me, burdened for people. For believers who, who are drifting, I'm burdened for them to come back and just stop drifting altogether. Because this drifting in their life has caused great chaos. Chaos in their hearts, in their homes, in their marriages, in the lives of their children. The drifting is so dangerous and burdened for them. But as James says here, this need to stop it. They need to draw nigh to God. They need to come back to the Lord and stop, stop drifting. But at this moment, as James is writing, it would seem the crowd to whom he's writing to, it would seem they were beginning to drift away from the closeness that they once enjoyed with, with the Lord. Now, if you're like me, you begin to wonder. You begin to wonder, uh, when did that drifting take place? Or when did it start? Because if you can go back to identify the the reason of the drift or the start of the drift, and you can go back and fix it. Or as you're looking back on how somebody started to drift, and you take some introspection and make sure you don't start there, right? So, so if you're like me, you want to know how it started or when did it start? Uh, I mean, these individuals here that James is writing to, uh, did this drift, did it become uh, prevalent or did it start when they fell into some kind of gross sin after they left the church? I mean, after all, James does talk about how they had dirty hands, and which indicates a um, physicality to their sin, meaning sins of the flesh. And he said they had dirty hearts, which indicates the internality or the spirituality of their sin, meaning the sins of, of the Spirit. I mean, did it, did it start after they forsook the assembling together? Did it start when they got out of church? Is that when they began to drift? Well, we get an indication of when they began to drift and we see it in verse number 1. Look at it with me, all right? The Bible says again, James chapter 4, verse number 1, From whence come wars and fightings, what's those next two words? Among you. Among you. Now this uh, pronoun here, you, is in the plural. 
And he says, among you, so this would seem that James is speaking to these believers as a whole. It would seem that James is writing to the church as, as a whole. And so if he's addressing these believers all at once, and this would indicate that these believers were, were still meeting together, still assembled somewhere, somehow, because this reading of the letter of James will be expected to be read at the uh, congregation or the assembling of believers. Okay? So it would seem that these individuals are still together. They're still meeting. They're still at church. So the drift did not start after they got out of the assembly of believers, or as we would say, the drift did not start after they left the church. No, it would seem to indicate that this drifting here began to take place and happen while they were still yet assembled, while they were still in church. Listen, this drift in these individuals' lives the drift from the Lord, that is, began to take place while they were sitting in a pew. Sadly, this still happens. And even today, individuals will warm, warm a church pew and yet their heart will be cold toward God. And that's when the drift begins to happen. That's where the root of the drift begins to take, take place. I'm telling you, it's, it can be easily easy happen but that's why james encourages and he tells us to draw nigh to god he will draw nigh to us so we see a result here of this fussing and fighting and wars taking place within the church body some begin to drift some begin to push push away so take note of their drifting number two take note of this their double-mindedness all right look again at verse number eight draw nigh to god he will draw nigh to you cleanse your hands ye sinners and purify your hearts ye double minded now what does this mean what does it mean to be double-minded well it means to be two-spirited it means to be unsettled or un, un, unstable it means to waver back and forth and if you remember we came across this word when we first came to james chapter one and uh, james chapter one and verse number eight where james says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways now, now be reminded just quickly that in the context of that chapter number one, when he talks about a double-minded man there, he is speaking about our praying. He is speaking about us asking in faith, nothing wavering, because a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Because listen, if we're honest, and sometimes in our prayers, we may say with our lips, Lord, I believe you, Lord, I trust you. But deep in our heart, deep in our heart, we may think, but I don't know if you can do this. That's double-mindedness. That's, that's, that's wavering. That's what it means to be double-minded in our, in our faith. But as we come to James chapter 4, he uses this word double-minded again. This is only two times, by the way. You'll find it in the Word of God. James uses it both times. But what does it mean here? What is he talking about here? Why is he using it here in this text? Well, again, in the context here, he is using it in the treatment of other believers or in the treatment of each each other again keeping this context the first seven verses in mind all right of the warring fighting going on you see if a believer who is double-minded and especially during times of strife but a believer that's double-minded then that means at one point they may treat someone well but in the heat of conflict like a rattlesnake can turn and bite you see this is what a double-minded believer can do if we allow ourselves to be double-minded, we'll 
will do. And it would seem again that some of these believers at this moment were doing this one toward another, being double-minded, especially as there was fighting going on. And then we see this. We get a glimpse of their treatment one to another. We get a glimpse of their uh, double-mindedness of each other when we see this. Number three, I want to see their dialogue. And I want to skip down to verse number 11. Look at verse number 11 with me. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Now, I'm not going to spend very, very much time here on this, on this subject and on this point because just a chapter ago, if you remember, we took note of what James said concerning our speech, concerning our words, concerning our, our tongue and how devastating it truly can be. But I will say this. For James to say it again, it's absolutely terrible that he had to. <laughs> that we have to look at believers, look at saved people, look at individuals who have experienced the transforming grace and mercy of God and say to them, stop speaking evil one of another. And that evil speaking he's speaking of is they were accusing one another. They were criminating one another. They were making the believers on the right side of the church the bad guys and the people on the left side of the church the bad guys and everybody in the middle are okay, right? I don't know. I'm just using that right now, okay? <laughs> anyway, that's not how it is here, okay, people? But, uh, but that's, that's what he was saying. They're speaking evil one another. The guys on the left, they're terrible. No, the guys on the right, they're terrible. They're criminating one another. Speaking evil one to another. There was a spirit of rivalry within the church. There was a spirit of criticism with the church, and this was causing division. It was just plain crazy and absolutely foolish, especially, especially within the body of Christ. But what should we expect when we drift from the Lord? What should we expect when we are double-minded? Because when this happens, when we are drifting from the Lord, when we are double-minded, we will behave like this. We will become foolish in our thinking and therefore foolish in our actions and it will show up in our speech. So you get a little glimpse of their double-mindedness through their dialogue, what they were saying. And James is like, look, you guys got to quit this. Stop speaking evil one of another. But I want to see this, number four, quickly. I want to see their demeanor. Look at verse number nine. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Now, this verse here gives us a little bit of a glimpse of their demeanor, their attitude, if you will. Uh, through this strife and through these warrings and through this fussing and through these fightings among them. And uh, it wasn't one that you might expect. It wasn't one of humility, because even in the very next verse, he tells in verse 10 to humble yourselves, right? It wasn't one of humility. It wasn't one of compassion. It wasn't one of grace and, and mercy. Uh, you would expect that, at least I would, because listen, the, keep in context, again, the, the historical context, what, what was going on at this time? They're all going through, starts with a P, ends with persecution. Yeah, persecution, all right? They're all going through persecution. They're all going through terrible times. They're all going through this, all of them, every one of them, going through the same stuff. And so you think maybe 
Since I'm going through it too, I'm going to be a little more tender towards you, right? But that's not their demeanor. That's not the case. It's not their response. They, this is not their response to the fighting among themselves and the war and the strife. Their response rather was this. Look again at verse number 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to joy, to, to, I'm sorry, to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. So here is their response. You ready? Here is their demeanor. They're just laughing about it all. They're acting like it was just some, some game. Big deal. <laughs> what do you mean big deal? It, it's a huge deal. All the things that's going on, come on, that's, that's huge. Yet they're just laughing it off, acting as if it was just some sort of game. So there's some of the um, reactions, consequences, whatever you want to call it, to this fussing and fighting going on. And James identifies them, but he doesn't stop there. Aren't you glad he didn't stop there? I'm glad. He points out the problem, but he gives some, some answers. And so number five, I want to see this. I want to see the directions he gives. Now as James describes what's been going on, as he tells them of their drifting, as he tells them of them being double-minded and tells them of their wrong demeanor, tells them of their harsh dialogue and all the results thereof. He then shifts gears and begins to give them instruction. He begins to give them direction. After all, what's going to turn this all around? Uh, what's going to help these guys during this moment? Remember, that's what he's writing, to instruct and to help and to encourage these individuals going through this terrible time of life. What's going to turn this all around? Well, there's several strong encouragements and even demands that he advises, and we're going to highlight them quickly and then move on, all right? But if you like to mark in your Bible, I encourage you to highlight these words, underline them, circle them, okay? But here's the first one. We looked at it a little, little while ago, a few Wednesdays ago, I guess. But verse number 7, he says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. But what does it mean to be submissive? Well, simply put, it means to place yourself under, to yield to the authority of another. And as believers, we are to submit ourselves, to place ourselves under the authority of God. Under the authority of the Word of God, we are to submit to Him. Besides, this is the only way to finish out that verse, to resist the devil, he'll flee from you. You can't resist him if we're not going to be submissive to God. We can't, this ain't going to happen. So that's why he says to submit. What else does he tell us? What else uh, does he describe for us? What, what other instructions does he give? Verse number 8. Draw nigh to God. Again, this is the only way that you and I can stop the drifting. And if you find yourself drifting even in your personal walk with God, maybe it's subtle, maybe it's small, and you, only you have noticed, you and God have noticed, then allow the the sweet Holy Spirit, to convict your heart and to show you that and draw you back to Him. and Draw nigh unto God once again. And then again in verse number 8, he says this, Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. So he said, Submit, draw, cleanse your hands, and purify your hearts. Now how can we do that? How can we cleanse our hands? How can we purify our hearts? Well, and 1 John 1, 9 tells us, If we confess our sins, <clears throat> He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how we become clean. After we know Jesus as Savior, 
we confess, we tell them, we say the same thing, agree with God about our sin. We confess it to Him. And by the way, He knows anyway. He already knows. Just confess it to Him. And then He says this in verse number 10. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. You know, some folks think humility is... Uh, just thinking of yourself less. That might be a good starting point. But that's not the full gist of it. You see, humility is not just thinking of yourself less. It's really not thinking of yourself at all, you see. Humility. He says, humble yourselves. But as James gives these instructions and directions, there's one more step that needs to be taken. And it's this one, number six, their decision. Listen, with all of these directions that James gives, there's going to have to be a choice made. And that choice has to be made on an individual basis personally. And that choice is not, listen, it's not going to necessarily flow from our, our natural lives, especially, especially, especially in the heat of the battle where it's conflict. When there's wars and fightings among you, that's the natural response during that time when you're fussing with someone or you're fighting with someone is to fight back, is to fuss back. Somebody cusses you, you're going to... No, you don't cuss back, no. <laughs> and our natural, our natural response, yes, absolutely, that's what we want to do. We want to yell them back, fuss back, and cuss back. Because ain't nobody going to treat me that way. But in the heat of the battle, in the heat of the conflict, in that moment, we must make a choice to follow these instructions. And when we do, I believe you will begin to see the heat of the battle dissipate and wane and go away. If we would follow these directions, but it has to, be, has to come by making the choice, making the decision from ourselves and when we do we'll find that the truth of what James is trying to say that truth will truly make us free so when you find yourself in a fight a scuffle a strife especially with a fellow believer let me ask you what decision will you make will you fight on or will you humble yourself will you allow yourself to drift farther from God or will you draw nigh to God? Will you speak evil about that individual to whom you're at odds with, even though you have limited information, even though you don't know their heart's motivation, even though you don't know their intent, even though your knowledge and wisdom is limited on the matter, even though you ain't God, because listen, that's the whole gist of verse 11 and 12 there. James is saying, look, you're making all these decisions and you're, you're speaking evil one of another. You don't, even know all the, you don't even have all the facts straight. You know why? Because you ain't the judge. You know who he is? It ain't you. It's God. <laughs> so in those moments, decision, what we're going to make, decision, what will we make? When it comes to these, these, these times, will we speak evil of one another or, or will we submit ourselves to the Lord and allow the judge of all the earth do right? What decision? What decision will we make? Because we all must make them from time to time, especially as we find ourselves wars and fighting among us.
So I encourage you this evening to make the right decision and obey the instruction that we find in the Word of God from the pen of James as he gives us all of these.